0: Chapter 5 Spice Wars The next day, Han took the Yelishan shuttle to Colony 2 and Colony 3. He discovered that he really enjoyed piloting bigger ships, and his piloting was perfect. He managed to find a few extra minutes on his return run to Colony 1 to practice low-altitude flying, swooping the shuttle so low that the belly nearly brushed the tops of the jungle trees. Beside him in the co-pilot's seat, Merg alternated between exhilaration and terror as the Tagorian experienced swoops, barrel rolls, and even upside-down high-speed flying. Han was in his element, putting the shuttle through maneuvers he'd only done previously during Sims. The Corellian found himself whooping joyously at the sheer thrill of it all. For his last best bit of precision flying, Han sent the shuttle hurtling down a river-cut canyon, skimming between the rock walls with so little room to spare that Merg yowled, shut his eyes, and refused to open them. Once they were soaring through open skies again, Han had to shake the Tagorian's arm and repeatedly reassure the big alien that he was finished practicing for the day. Merg's certain that pilot is crazy, the Tagorian said, cautiously opening his eyes and straightening up in his seat. Merg flies on his Moscoth at home, but not like that. Moscoths have more sense than to fly like that. Merg have more sense too. Pilot, the Tagorian gave Han a plaintive glance. Promise Merg not to fly crazy again. But Merged. "'Han said, carefully setting them down on the landing field at Colony One. "'I've got to practice every chance I get. "'You see?' "'He hesitated, then decided to trust Merg with part of the truth. "'I sort of stretched the facts a little when I told Terowenza about my flying experience. "'I really am a champion pilot, that's the truth, "'but I need to practice with this shuttle and with the bigger ships.' Sims are fine, but they can't beat the real thing. Merg gave Han a long, level look, then nodded. Merg understands. Pilot trusts Merg not to say this to Teruenza. Yeah, something like that, Han said. Can I? Trust you, I mean. The Tagorian groomed his white whiskers thoughtfully. As long as Pilot does not crash, Merg does not talk. Fair enough, pal, Hans said with a grin. When he and Merg came down the ramp from the ship, Veratil was there waiting for them in the pouring rain. By this time Han was growing used to the daily downpours, though the steamy heat still exhausted him. The high priest wishes to see you at once, Pilot Drago, Veratil said. The sacredot led the Corellian and his bodyguard to the high priest's personal quarters, which occupied a large part of the underground level of the administration center. When Veratil keyed in the security bypass codes and they walked through the huge double doors into the high priest's personal sanctum, Han couldn't repress a low whistle of amazement. Nice place. This is the high priest's display room. Veratil said. He is an avid collector and very proud of his collection of rarities. He deserves to be, Hans said sincerely. The room was easily ten times the size of Hans' little apartment on the first floor. Display tables, shelves, and racks showcased treasures and antiquities from around the galaxy. Sculpture from a dozen worlds. Paintings and other art objects were scattered amid ornate antique weapons. Tapestries hung from the walls. Rugs of exquisite beauty were covered by protective force fields that felt squishy underfoot as Han walked on them. Semi-precious gems adorned the collection of pipes and other musical instruments. Bottles of the rarest liquors in the entire galaxy were suspended in a gold-embossed rack. Han's fingers literally itched for the whole time it took him to traverse the display room. "'If I could have five minutes alone in here, I'd be set for life,' he thought wistfully, as he slowed down to peer at a drilb carved from living ice. The tiny statue was covered with a layer of dust, which was disturbed by Han's breath. It wafted up into the air, and the pilot sneezed thunderously. "'Dust or no dust, this place is worth several fortunes. "'If only—' "'Sternly, Han reminded himself that he had turned over a new leaf, "'and was an honest, hard-working citizen these days. "'Veratil led them through another security door "'into the high priest's personal living quarters.' The visitors were ushered into the room by an ancient Zissian majordomo, whom Teruenza addressed as Ganartos. The Zissian was humanoid, but he had wrinkly green skin that hung in flaccid wattles from his receding chin-line. His orange eyes were roomy, and he snuffled constantly, as though he had a sinus infection, probably allergic to all that dust, Han thought. The High Priest waved Han and Merg to seats and addressed them. So good of you to come, Pilot Drago. I hear good things about your piloting from Colony 2 and 3. Today our medical droid placed our other pilot, Jalous Neville on indefinite sick leave... So you will be taking his place on interstellar flights from now on? Han nodded, trying not to betray his excitement. Fine, sir. I'll keep on schedule. When do I go? The day after tomorrow, Terowenza said. Merg will, of course, accompany you. What's the cargo and destination, sir? Han asked. You will rendezvous with a ship from Nalhata at coordinates we will provide you with at the last minute. Security is vital, as I am sure you can understand. You know that we have had trouble with pirates in the past. Toruenza accepted a small, limp creature from a tray the Major Domo held out to him and paused to gulp it. Have you trained Merg as a gunner pilot? Uh, no. Not yet, sir. See that you do. A good pilot is prepared for all eventualities, correct? Yes, sir, Hans said. I'll see to it. Uh, sir, what's the cargo? You'll be carrying a load of processed carcinum, and picking up a load of raw ryle transhipped from Ryloth. But the ship I'm meeting is from Nelhata, Yes. Tarawenza did not expand upon this, so Han dropped the subject, resolving to keep his ears open. He sensed that there was more that the High Priest wasn't telling him, but he was hardly in a position to demand to know all the ins and outs. Terowenza sat back on his massive haunches, small arms waving at the portal through which Murg and Han had entered. "'I gather you liked my display room?' "'Liked?' Han was able to speak with complete honesty. "'It was great, sir. I never saw so many treasures gathered together outside of a museum.' "'My species is long lived,' As are our cousins, the Huts, Terowenza said. I have been collecting for hundreds of standard years. Longer than you and your youth can imagine, pilot. I'd really like to get a grand tour sometime, Han said. I wish my collection were in condition to be viewed, Terowenza said regretfully. Ganatos. Though an excellent cook and an efficient houseboy, hasn't the training to maintain it, much less catalog and arrange everything properly, and I am too busy to indulge myself that way. The giant being gave them a dismissive wave of a tiny hand. That will be all for now. I shall see you upon your return, Pilot. Yes, sir. Han stood and beckoned to Merg. They left, escorted by Veratil. Once outside, the sacredot went off on an errand, leaving them to themselves. Han glanced at his chrono and then at the westering sun. Tonight I'm going to start training you on gunner's duties, he told the Tagorian. but right now I think we're owed a break. Matter of fact, We're just in time to visit the refectory where the pilgrims eat. Let's go. Why? Merg asked. Pilot not want pilgrim food. Pilot and Merg eat in mess hall. Get decent food, not garbage. Han shook his head and started walking down the path that led through the jungle to the pilgrims' area. I don't want to eat with the pilgrims, pal. explained i just want to talk to some of them i figure at dinner they'll all be together and i can find them easier them merg echoed how many is them Uh, well you see hans started then he stopped grimacing just one he admitted pilgrim 921 the one i saw the other day I'd like to see what she really looks like. Merg nodded. Ah, yes. Merg understand very well what Pilot wants. Han felt his face grow hot, and was glad that the Tagorian wouldn't recognize that giveaway as a sign of embarrassment. You know, Merg old pal, he said, deliberately changing the subject. You speak pretty good basic for someone who's been speaking it for less than a year. But there's one part of speech you ain't mastered yet, and that's the pronoun. Never thought I'd find myself playing schoolteacher, but here goes. The two walked on down the path together, as Han laboriously covered the grammatical rules governing the use of pronouns. Once in the refectory, Han and Merg roamed the huge dining area. Han glanced from face to face, wondering if he'd managed to recognize her without the goggles. In normal light. Her hair had been covered by the cap, so he didn't even know if it was dark or light. He walked faster, realizing the meal was nearly over, and he still hadn't found 921. Maybe she wasn't here. Maybe she ate during another shift, the way he heard some of the pilgrims did. But he'd thought most of the humanoids ate during this shift. There she is. That's her. Han wasn't even sure how he knew. But he was as positive as if she'd had a sign around her neck that read, Pilgrim 921. Seen in normal light, he could tell that she was tall and slender. Too slender, really. Her cheekbones stood out prominently, and her eyes seemed even larger than they were in her thin, excessively pale face. But too thin or not, She was quite simply lovely, not classically beautiful. Her jaw was a little too wide and squarish, her nose a bit too long for classic beauty, but lovely. Oh, yes one had big blue-green eyes, long dark lashes, and poreless white skin. Several locks of short curly hair had escaped from beneath her pilgrim's cap, and Hans saw that it was reddish gold, the color of a Corellian sunset on a clear day. The refectory hall was usually pretty quiet, the pilgrims didn't talk much, tired as they were from a long day's work in the factories, and the approaching exultation but they usually ate in groups. Nine-two-one was all alone. Hans saw that she was poking at her dinner, and after one look at the unappetizing mess of gruel-like porridge, limp greens, and flatbread on her plate, he didn't blame her. The food smelled bad, almost spoiled. Hans' nose wrinkled as he pulled out the seat opposite her and sat down. He was dimly aware of Murg leaning against the wall, watching him. 921. I've got to get her to tell me her real name. Looked up, and her turquoise eyes widened as she recognized him. Han was inordinately pleased about that and grinned at her. Hello. Found you again, see? She stared at him, eyes wide. Then she looked down at her plate. Han leaned toward her. So, what's for dinner? Doesn't look great, I gotta admit. But you've got to do more than just push it around your plate, you know. She shook her head. Please, go away. Her voice was barely above a whisper. I'm not supposed to be talking to you. You're not of the One. Sure I am, Hans said. I'm just a little bit more of an individual One, I guess you'd say. one's mouth quirked. Very slightly. Han found himself wishing he could make her really smile. You don't know what you're talking about, Pilot Drago, she said softly. I'm afraid that's obvious. Well, proselytize to me then, Han said. I've got an open mind. Maybe you can convert me. He smiled, happy that he'd found her and that she was at least talking to him. 921 shook her head. I'm afraid you're much too much of an unbeliever, Pilot, she said. Han reached out across the table and took her hand, the one she'd injured. It's Vic, he told her, having to fight a crazy impulse to tell her his real name. But he managed to resist. So, how is your hand? Any ill effects from the other day? When he'd first touched her, she'd stiffened, as though to pull away. Then, when he inquired about the cut, she relaxed. It's healing, she told him, confirming what his eyes told him. It will just take a little time. It's a tough job, working down there in the dark and the cold all day long, Hans said. Wouldn't you rather do something a little easier? Like what? she asked. I don't know, he said. What are you good at? What have you studied? Well, at one time I wanted to be a curator in a museum, she said, sounding faintly wistful. I was going to study archaeology. I know quite a bit about that. But you came here instead of going on with your studies, Han guessed. Yes, 921 answered. This life is spiritually fulfilling. My old life was empty and meaningless. Han hesitated. How do you know that the doctrine they teach here is the right one? There are a lot of religions in the galaxy. She considered his question carefully then, finally replied. Because when we are exalted, I feel very close to the One. It's a mystical moment. I feel one with the All. "'I'm sure the priests must be divinely gifted "'to be able to offer the pilgrims the chance to be exalted.' "'Hmm,' Hans said. "'Sounds like maybe I should give it a try.' "'Over my dead body,' he thought, "'but was careful to conceal his true feelings. "'Perhaps you should,' she said. "'It's time to head for the altar of promises now.' Perhaps you'll be blessed by receiving the exaltation, too. You never know, Hans said. Can I walk you there? She smiled a little, eyes downcast. All right. They walked together up the jungle path, side by side amid the pilgrims, with Merg trailing behind. Han tried to make conversation, but 921 was silent and unresponsive. When they reached the altar... Han did not withdraw to the back, but instead stood beside 921 in the midst of the group of believers. You shouldn't be here, she whispered. It's obvious you're not a pilgrim. If anyone complains, just tell them I'm a pilgrim candidate, Han said, trying to gently tease her. But 921 wasn't having it. She scowled and turned away from him, concentrating on the ceremony. Teroenza and the other priests treated the crowd of faithful to a devotion that was identical to the one Han had attended before. This time, Han had little trouble resisting the effects of the exaltation. He remained clear-headed throughout. Instead, he watched 921, saw her rapt face, and inwardly shook his head. How can she be taken in by this ridiculous bilge? he wondered. She's obviously intelligent. Why can't she see that however these priests do what they do, it's some kind of trick, not a divine gift? Han watched in distress as 921 sank to the ground to receive the exaltation. Then he crouched beside her as she writhed on the ground. It's a miracle, their hearts. Don't just stop, he thought. Later... When the moment of exultation was over and the priests were gone, he helped her to sit up. She was smiling, though very weak. You okay? he asked, concerned. The exaltation, whatever its other physical and emotional effects, seemed to leave the pilgrims drained. You don't look so good. I'm fine, she said, still trembling, and tried to get up. Han was quick to catch her and offer a steadying hand. Thank you, she whispered, her breath still ragged. I'll be fine now. I'll walk you back to the dorm, he said, just in case. You look kind of shaky. She didn't argue as he took her arm, and they started back along the path. It was growing quite dark by now, and Elisha had no moon. Han could barely make out the path ahead, but 921 produced her goggles from the pocket of her robe and put them on. She led the way, but he kept hold of her arm to steady her. So, do you ever miss Corellia? He asked. No, she said, but he could tell it was a lie. Do you? I don't miss the people, but I miss the planet, Han said honestly. is a nice place. I always wanted to go to the ocean, but I never got the chance. Ever been to the ocean? Yes, she said slowly, as if his question brought back memories she'd rather not think about. You got a family there? Yes, she hesitated, then added. At least, I think so. I haven't talked with them in almost a year. Is that how long you've been here? Han asked. Yes. They picked their way through the hot, wet darkness in silence. Han was very conscious of holding her arm beneath the wide sleeve of her robe. Her bones were too close to the skin, but her flesh itself was warm and soft and very female. So, you planning to stay here for good? Han asked, as a small clot of shambling pilgrims passed them in the darkness. Or is this just kind of temporary? Temporary? He could barely see the light blur of her face, with the dark line of the goggles running across it as she turned toward him. How could it be temporary? I want to serve the One, be part of the All, forever. Oh, Han said. Well, uh, what about stuff like falling in love, traveling? Maybe settling down some day and having kids? We give up those kinds of attachments when we become part of the all, she said. But there was a hint of regret in her voice. Too bad, he said. Without warning, it began to rain steadily. Han could feel 921 shiver slightly, despite the warmth. He pulled a rain poncho out of his pocket and spread it over both their heads. They walked along, huddled beneath it, bodies touching. Han was conscious of Merg following at a discreet distance. Poor guy, he hates to get wet. The pilot raised his voice to be heard above the spatter of the rain. You know, I can't just go on. Calling you 921, if we're going to be friends, you gotta tell me your name. Who says we're going to be friends? she asked. I just know it, Han told her. He grinned, knowing she could see him in the darkness. I'm irresistible when I put my mind to it. You're conceited, that's what you are, she said. Sounding half vexed, half amused. Conceited, cocky, arrogant, insufferable. She broke off, chuckling. Hahn realized it was the first time he'd heard her laugh. Oh, go on, please, the pilot mock protested, laughing himself. I love it when women compliment me. Music to my ears. He was delighted to hear her sounding so alive. I'm tired, she said, her momentary good humor vanishing like morning mist. And here we are at the dorm. Thanks for walking me back, Pilot Drago. There was a faint circle of light emanating from the windows in the dormitory, and Hans stopped them right on the edge of it, so he could see her. But they wouldn't be fully illuminated to any onlooker. Not Pilot he reminded her. It's Vic. She tried to step back, away from him, but Han tightened his grip on her arm, careful to be gentle, but not letting her pull away. Vic, okay. Vic, right? She said. No, please, let me go. And don't come back. Please. Why not? Han was hurt. Because... You're not good for me, for my spiritual essence. He smiled in the hot darkness. Admit it. You like me. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Admit it. He stepped closer to her, looking down into her face. She was tall, only half a head shorter than he was. Gently, Han reached up to push the concealing goggles up off her eyes. His fingers lingered on her cheek as he did it. There, he said softly. That's better. It's wrong, totally wrong, to cover this face, these eyes. You're. you're being blasphemous, she said, sounding breathless, but she didn't jerk away. No, I'm not, he said. Tell me your name. She shook her head miserably, and her eyes were haunted. Vic, I can't. All right, I can wait, Han thought, but I will see you again, right? She hesitated for so long that he found himself holding his breath. Then she ducked her head, mumbled, yes, and pulled away. This time, Han let her go. 921 ran away into the dormitory without looking back. Han leaned forward in the pilot's seat, glancing at the figures rolling by on the screen of the Navicomputer. Ready to enter real space, at rendezvous coordinates, he said aloud. Three, two, one, he pulled back the lever. And the stars around the Yulishan dream suddenly elongated into thin streaks of light, all reaching toward a central point, a point toward which the ship plunged. The engines roared, then throttled down, and then, with a suddenness that took some getting used to, they were back in real space. Right on course, Murr, Han said triumphantly. I'm getting this interstellar flying stuff down pat lately, ain't I? Arun. The Tagorian corrected I have been reading book Pilot gave mur He stopped himself Uh, me And ain't Is not correct way To talk basic Remind me to teach you About articles sometime Han muttered Don't I even get a gold star For bringing us to the rendezvous Right on the money Much better than first time Merg commented, referring to their first interstellar trip three weeks ago. Han had made a tiny error in programming the computer on exactly where to bring them out of hyperspace, and the dream had wound up three parsecs from where they were supposed to emerge. Han had had to make an extra hyperspace jump to bring them into correct position. Hey, Han protested, that was just my first time. And it wasn't my fault that screen is so old that an eight looked like a six. Pilot has done better since then, Merg acknowledged. Second and third trips went okay. You bet they did, Han muttered. I'm good, Merg. I really am. I'll bet that I could almost pass the exams to get into the Imperial Academy now. A few more months' practice, and I'll really be set. Merg will miss, the Targorian paused. Correction, I will miss Pilot when he goes. I'll miss you too, pal, Han said, meaning it. But don't worry, we can- The Elysian Dream shuddered violently as a loud whang reverberated through her hull. What the- Han pushed buttons, turning on the rear view screen. Merg! Something hit us, asteroid. The Tagorians suggested. Whang! No, Han yelled, staring incredulously at the view screen. Two ships. They've got to be pirates. Get to the gunners' well. As he stared at the screen, the rightmost vessel launched another shot. Brace yourself. Murg, who had unstrapped himself and gotten up to head for the gunners' mount yowled as another shot whined against the hull, sending him back into his seat with bruising force. Cursing, Han yanked the dream hard to port. Who were these guys? Pirates usually fired warning shots and demanded that the attacked vessel surrender. Their goal was to steal the cargo, commandeer the ship, and keep the crew alive so they could be sold as slaves. Destroying or crippling the ship and killing the crew wasn't cost-effective. Merg, get below. They're going to blast us into atoms. We've lost a shield. As the Tagorian propelled himself out of the co-pilot's seat and lurched out of the control room, two more shots grazed the Elysian Dream. They're aiming at the hyperdrive engines. They're out to cripple us. Hans sent the ship into a desperate roll, flipping her up. "'on her side, just in time to avoid another blast "'that nearly singed his underside "'and would have blown out his Quadex power core. "'He put on a burst of speed, "'trying to get far enough ahead of the pursuing pirates "'to double back and shoot at them. "'He had little confidence in Merg's ability "'to actually hit anything while manning the gun well. "'The Tagorian was quick and able, "'but he'd never actually shot at a live, "'much less moving, target.' As he sent the ship hurtling recklessly along, straining her speed to the utmost, Han flipped open his communications channel. He had to let someone know what was happening, in case the dream was crippled and they got a chance to get to a life pod. Yelisha Colony One, this is Yelishian Dream. Colony One, this is the dream. We are under attack. Repeat, under attack. Two vessels jumped us just after we emerged from hyperspace. Han's voice cracked from the strain. Honest, it wasn't my fault. They're chasing us, and I'm taking evasive maneuvers. Pilot Drago, out! Han glanced at the viewscreen with the sensor readout below. Saw that they'd gained on their pursuers, he still hadn't gotten a good look at the pirate ships, and then sent the dream spiraling down beneath the oncoming ships. As they whooshed by overhead, he flipped his vessel up into a tight turn. Merg, No. Now! He yelled into the intercom. A Tagorian roar and a splat of energy rewarded his command, but Merg missed his quarry completely. One of the pirates had turned and was firing again. Wham! The Elysian dream shook violently as the ship sustained a major hit. Han's stomach lurched as he heard a yowl of sheer agony float up from the gunwell. Merg! Merg! Are you hit? He yelled, but there was no answer. A quick status check told him that they'd suffered a tiny drop in pressure, but that the leak had been automatically sealed by the ship's systems. All right, you creeps, Han muttered, homing in with his racket concussion missiles, centering the rightmost pirate in the cross-sights. Take that! The dream lurched violently as the missile shot away. Han grimaced as the pirate managed to evade at the last second. He tried again. If he could just get him moving more to his port side. Yes! Han muttered savagely as he launched another missile right into the path of the pirate, anticipating his evasive maneuver. Gotcha! A second later. A bright yellow-white light splashed out in all directions, expanding into a fireball of incandescent beauty. Han had to look away, and when he looked back, the other pirate was hightailing it in the opposite direction at full throttle. No, you don't, Han growled. I'll get you, too. With a fierce stab of his finger, he tracked and launched again. The concussion missile followed its target, but then the pirate ship vanished in a burst of striated light. They had jumped to hyperspace and safety. Hahn cursed under his breath as he put the Dream on autopilot and bolted for the gunwell. Was Murg okay? Seconds later, Hahn was standing in the ruins of the gun mount, seeing the pressure sealant that the Dream's systems had automatically triggered to squirt out and mend the pressure leak. There was a strong ozone smell and scorch marks where the blast had hit them. Murg was still strapped in the movable seat, but the Tagorian was slumped, unconscious, and he didn't stir as Han unstrapped him and managed to half-carry, half-drag him up the ladder to the control room. The Tagorian was breathing, but there was a burn mark along one side of his head, just below his right ear. Han looked further, running his fingers through the black fur, and discovered a swelling lump just back of the ear, but Tagorian had obviously taken a nasty blow to the head Han wasn't sure what to do He knew first aid for humans and a few species of aliens But Merg's people were rare in the galaxy Got to get him to a medical facility, he thought Covering the unconscious alien with a blanket And going forward to check his navicomputer Where's the nearest system? Han scanned star charts Then his finger stabbed down "'Okay,' he whispered. "'Here we go.' "'He glanced over at the Tagorian. "'Hang on, Merg!' "'Han programmed the ship for the short hyperspace hop. "'Then, before giving the command, went to check the engines. "'The nose-wrinkling smell of a burned connection made him grimace. "'Wonder whether I should use the backup hyperdrive unit instead?' "'But the backup was much slower.' and he had no way of knowing how serious Merg's condition was. Han decided to chance using the main hyperdrive engine. He held his breath as he initiated the jump to hyperspace. From the way the ship hesitated and the laboring sound of the engine, he started to sweat. The dream strained, shuddered, but the stars suddenly blazed at him in streaks, and they jumped Han came out of hyperspace a short time later, thanking his lucky stars that the Elysian dream had held together for that hop. The ship's light-speed engines definitely needed repairs. The Corellian headed into the star system he'd chosen, toward the sole inhabited world. While he was still fairly far out, he placed the dream on autopilot and went back to check the box of Glitterstim. The world he'd chosen was known to have customs and spice checks, so he opened up the secret compartment the priests had, had built into the cargo deck and removed the boxes of Dorenian amber geese perfume that he carried as a cover cargo. Grunting with effort, Han lugged the heavy containers of perfume into the cargo bay and put them down. Then he placed the much smaller container of glitter-stim vials in the concealed compartment, making sure it sealed shut. Unless someone knew it was there, he'd never spot it, and the hatch was designed to be scanner-proof. By the time Han returned to his pilot's seat, the world he'd chosen was growing in his view-screens. As he approached... He saw it was a lovely world, hanging blue and white and tan against the night blackness of space. As he swooped toward it, Han suddenly remembered that he'd shut down his communications system after sending off the message to Yelisha. Better turn it back on, he thought. Check in with the Spaceport Authority and get clearance to land. He glanced back at Merg, who hadn't stirred or made a sound and arrange for transport to the nearest hospital. As his fingers clicked on the comm unit, the vid screen filled with an image of a kindly-looking man with a little dark-haired girl sitting on his lap. Han was startled, then realized that this message was pre-recorded and played to every ship on an approach vector. A voiceover identified the man. His Majesty? Bael, Prestor or "'Viceroy and First Chairman.' "'The man smiled into the screen. "'Greetings. "'On behalf of myself and my people, "'I bid you welcome to Alderaan.'